0: So uh, my name's Jay Manimtim, and it's uh, amazing to be here. Thank you for having us. Uh, My my wife and my kids are here uh, today as well, so it's it's a pleasure to be here. So I just want to say thank you for having us. And uh, I'm the full-time minister at the Central Church of Christ in Winnipeg. And uh, before that, um, I was in the military. I was in the Canadian Armed Forces. I was I I did that for 20 years, and I retired in 2017, so I can pursue full-time ministry. But in my career in the Canadian Armed Forces, um, uh, we we uh, my wife and I, my family were able to live across Canada and in in the UK. So uh, it's interesting because uh, in our um, in in our homes in these different places in Canada and in the UK, uh, we would always look at these. you know, at these places, the different places that we've lived, with fondness, because there's, they're all different, although they're pretty much all in Canada and in the UK, like, you know, they're all different, but uh, each place has, uh, has specific things that we love, right? Like, for example, in terms of food, um, I really, uh, we appreciated Quebec for uh, bagels. I don't know if you guys like bagels, but in Quebec, there's these bagels that are just so good, right? In uh, British Columbia, we lived there, and we loved the fish and chips there. So every time we'd go there, we'd have fish and chips. In Alberta, we loved um, ginger beef. I know if you go to you know the the Chinese restaurants here, if you guys have ginger (laughs) beef here, but that's apparently that's an Alberta thing, right? It was like made there and it was invented there, sort of. So ginger beef was in Alberta. In Ontario, I love bacon, but in Ontario they have this back bacon. It's called pea meal bacon that I really love, right? And then, uh, in the UK, there's this uh, thing called deep-fried Marsh Bars. I don't know if you've had them, but that's a thing in, in, in Scotland. The first time we had it in Scotland, it was amazing. But in Manitoba, there's this thing that we've never seen before. And I think, we think, it's, it's, it's born in Manitoba. It's the honey dill sauce. I, know, I don't know if you guys know that, right? We don't have that in Ontario don't have that in Quebec, not in Alberta, it's, it's a Manitoba thing, so it's interesting. But in all these places, although they're different, there's one thing that we always go back to and think about with fondness, and it's the same for all the places in which we lived. and that place and that thing is the church. Why is that? Why is, that such a, why is the church such a, a place where we feel at home wherever we go? And um, the reason I believe, hold on, is because—hold on a sec—I don't know what's going on here. It's because of this. In 1 Timothy 3:14 to 15, the scripture reading that was just read, uh, Paul writes to Timothy. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is also called the church of the living God. And I loved how the Apostle Paul uh, referred to the church at the end there. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Do you guys see that? That's the reason why all across Canada and in the UK, wherever we are, we always look back to the church with fondness in the congregations there. Because it's the pillar and the ground of truth. It means, you know... We stand on, you know, truth here. And our walls, our pillars are made of truth. We preach the truth here. We proclaim the truth here. This is where truth lives. And um, um, what is this truth, though, that we're talking about here? Uh, Jesus, in, um, uh, in John 8:31 to 32, said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So in this particular passage, Jesus links the truth, right there, to His Word. The Word of God is truth. I I love that, and it's also interesting because then we might ask the question: What are we? What are we to do with this truth? In uh, Matthew 28, 19-20, we also look at this and see this as the Great Commission. When Before Jesus went up into heaven, ascended into heaven, He told His disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Right? And then He says two things that we can accomplish that. Number one, baptize them in the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And number two, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, he says in the second part there to make disciples of all the nations, we need to teach them everything that I've commanded you. His word, right? Not just some things, not just here and there, whatever we want, whatever we decide to pick and choose. says all things. We need to proclaim the truth to everyone. As the church, as the pillar and the ground of truth, we need to be proclaiming this to people. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Today, as we are the pillar and the ground of the truth, that the Word of God is truth, that we need to proclaim this to people, what I want to talk to you about this morning is this, that we have a responsibility to proclaim the truth. And specifically today, we are going to ask or answer one question. One question. In terms of this responsibility to proclaim the truth, how do we do it? How exactly do we effectively... Proclaim the truth of God's word here in Carmen. In our community here today. How do we do that? Um, what we're going to do is we're going to answer this question by looking into just one, focusing our, our, our attention onto one verse in the Old Testament. And, and that verse is in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This particular verse is what we're going to focus on. It was written 2,500 years ago, and it's going to tell us today how to effectively proclaim the Word of God in our community. Right now, today. So, um, the first thing that I want to talk to you about that Ezra did, right? Uh, was to seek the law of the Lord. That's the first thing that I want us to think about that we need to do, is to seek the law of the Lord. Uh, the word to seek in this particular uh, verse, the Hebrew word for it, is the word darash, but you don't care about that. But what it actually means is to actually, is, is, to, uh, is to investigate, is to research intently, to research carefully the word seek. I think it's very important that we understand that today because today Satan has put out lies and bad stuff all, all around us in social media, in, um, in, in society, in, on TV, on, in radio, right? In literature, the things that we read. And these lies and these bad things, they look like the Word of God. That's why we need to seek it intently. We need to investigate it and we need to really uh, research it uh, diligently. Right? And that's the key that we need to understand because we don't want to put our lives or, or, or pattern our lives against something that's a lie or against something that's not really the Word of God. So we need to put diligence into the equation as we seek the Word of God. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Diligence. We all understand what diligence is. You guys have heard of diligence, right? Uh, you, if you work today in, in, in a sector like you know, where, where safety uh, is, is, is important, like for example, in, in the Canadian Forces, one of the pillars of the k forces is diligence, or due diligence, because of safety and because if you work with public safety, public security, and if you use public money to do that, you need to employ due diligence, right? But I'll just give you an example of due diligence. That I'm pretty sure you all can can uh, can relate to. Um, this happens to me. I, I, I don't know if it happens to you. So imagine, like you know, I'm, for myself, for example, I'd go to, I'd go to work when I was in the military or, you know, go to the church building. And, for example, the, the, my commute time is about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, right? So five or 10 minutes into my commute, I'm in the car, and I think, wait, I think I forgot to lock the door. Or, wait, I think I forgot to press the button to shut the garage door. Or, worse yet, hold on a sec, I think... I forgot to turn off the stove. Has that happened to you guys? You, know, you guys are, some of you guys are laughing because it probably does. So what do you do? Do you say, ah, oh, no, I probably, no, you don't do that. I don't do that. You know why? Because of diligence. I would turn around. I would go back to my house to make sure that my stove is off, to make sure that my door is locked, or to make sure that my garage door is closed. Because I don't want to come back home to a house that's robbed. I don't want to come back home to a house that's burnt. Because of due diligence, we do this. I do that for my home. We do that for the truth as well. We do that for God's Word. We need to be diligent when we study the Word of God. Because this is not just, you know, our Christianity, our faith is not just something that we we go to Something just we do on the side. This is our life. This is a lifestyle for us. Now, how do we do that? How do we employ diligence? In Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus says himself, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I love what Jesus employed here in terms of uh, in terms of an analogy. It's so strong what he used here. What we need to do as people of God. Because it's strong because hunger and thirst are two of those number one hierarchy of needs that we need to do in order for us to function. I don't know about you, but when you're hungry, can you guys do anything else when you're hungry? I can't do anything else when I'm hungry. In fact, actually, when I'm hungry, I become hangry. You know what I'm saying? You get you get you know, you're, you're, you're inconsolable when you're hungry. Like you become a diva. You know that commercial, the, the Kit Kat commercial? You know what I'm saying? But Jesus says, you should not be comfortable when you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You need to fill that need. We need to diligently seek Him in that regard. It's not something that you put off. You don't go, I'm hungry. or oh, I'll just do it later. I'm thirsty, ah, no, I'll wait till supper. You don't do that. You, you do it right away. It's the same thing with the Word of God. We do it we diligently, we do it in a timely manner. That is what it means when we seek the law of the Lord. That's the, that's the first thing that I want us to think about. Then what did Ezra do after he studied and learned the Word of God? Did he teach it right away? No, he didn't. What he did after he learned it is he did it. He applied it in his life. He tested it himself. He experienced it for himself. Right? That's the thing with, uh, uh, with the Word of God is we need to learn it with the express intention and objective to do it. It's not just an academic exercise. and that's, It's not just something that we, we seek to understand and know so that we can, we can, uh, we can boast to people that say, Well, I know that. Or we can make people feel bad about themselves because they don't know any, they don't know something that you know. It's not about that. Learning the word of God, Nothing. right? The only objective that we have to really understand and really focus on is Nothing. after I learn it, I need to do it. I need to put it in my life because the word of God is practical. You know what the root word for practical is? It's practice. We need to practice it. We need to do it. But there's a danger. James tells us this danger of, uh, of listening to the Word of God. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's verse 23, uh, 22. Let's, let's focus on that for now. James says that when you listen, you don't just listen. You do it. Right? Don't just listen to the Word of God. Do it. Don't just study it. Don't just research it. Don't just seek it. Don't just listen to it. Do it. Right? And then in verse 23, he gives us an analogy. I love the teachers of, this, of, of, of the Word of God. Because they always employ analogy. Jesus did that. James obviously did that. James says that if you only listen to the Word of God and not do it, this is what you're like. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not want does not do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That's what we're like when we just listen to the Word of God. It goes, when it goes in one ear and goes out the other, that's what we're like. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna illustrate that further. Like For example, if you look at me, you see that I have braces on, right? It's because I used to have really bad teeth. But now I still have bad teeth, but I still have braces on. When I eat, food gets stuck in between between my teeth. So when I eat, after I eat, I always go to the mirror and look, right? And when I look in the mirror, I see, oh, look at that, I have broccoli there. Oh, I have red pepper right there. I can see it, it's so glaring, it's red. And I like rice as well. Sometimes I have rice on my forehead because I have kids, right? They (laughs) hug me, they, they put their hands on me. I have rice on there. It's like, "Oh, I have I have all these things on my face." James says that if I if I only listen to the word not do it, this is what I'm doing. I see all the stuff on my face and my teeth and I go, "Ah, oh, great." Good. And then I walk away and I go, "I don't take it off. I don't make myself look better." That's what I do. I walk away from it. Isn't that absurd? That's absurd. That's what the illustration is for. That's why when we say, well, I'm only listening to the Word of God, but not doing it, that's absurd. That's crazy. Let's not do that. We should do it. We should do it. Um, And if we don't do that, if if we don't do it, we deceive ourselves. Right? Like when people fool us and deceive us, especially when it comes to money, when it comes to the truth, you know, we're hurt. But when we listen to the word of God only and not do it, we're fooling ourselves. We're doing ourselves a disservice. Now, in James 1.25, he continues, right? But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. So, this is what it is. James says, if you're going to look into the Word of God, do it. Okay? And he says, if we intently look into it, the Greek word translated intently there literally means bowing your head down into it. Like you're really looking into it. There's something, you know, you're passing by and you saw something, you just go. But then you pass by and you see it and you go. That's that word intently. You are actually examining it for yourself. But when you examine it for yourself, there's no other way but to do it. When you intently look into the Word of God, you're going to do it. And look at the promise that that, uh, the Word of God has for us in this particular verse at the end. That's the only time we're going to be blessed. When we do it. It doesn't say they will be blessed in what they think. It doesn't say they will be blessed in what they know or what they believe. It says they will be blessed in what they do. That's why it's practical. That's why it's important for us to do. Now, doing the Word of God shows us uh, demonstrates to God that we love Him. Look at this verse. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said that Himself. When we do the Word of God, we show Him how much we love Him. I have kids. I'm pretty sure any of you guys here have kids too. What's the ultimate thing that your kids would do that show them that they love you? exactly when they do what you tell them to do when they obey you it shows respect and it shows deep love that's what Jesus wants to, and it's so important to him, listen to this that six verses after John 14, 15 I can't do math very well but in my head it's six verses right? John 14, 21 that's six verses right? six verses later he says it again He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know, guys, listen to this. It is so important to him that a couple of verses later he says it again. In verses 23 and 24 of John 14, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me, and he says the contrasting thing, the negative. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's (laughs) who sent me. If we only listen to the word of God and not do it, we're telling God, well, I don't really love you, God. I'm only paying you lip service. Right? So we have to understand that I love these passages because it shows, you know, um, we've been told to have a relationship with God, right? Jesus himself here in these verses about love tell us exactly how we can have that relationship with him. See that? Those who do my will, my, my, the word, are the ones who love me. And then... I will have a relationship with Him, and my Father will also have a relationship with Him. We will come to Him and make our home with Him. If that's not relationship, I don't know what is. And it's so important to Jesus to have that relationship where we look at Him as God, not just Savior, but Lord. He actually rules over us and we do His will. That He said this, Matthew 12.50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my family, is my brother, my sister, and mother. It's not just knowing things. It's not just, oh, my dad's a Christian, so I'm okay. Oh, I go to a church that's doing this. No, it's, what do we do with it? What do I do with the Word of God? That is going to dictate my relationship with my Heavenly Father. So, it is important for us to have the order intact. Seek the law of the Lord and then do it. Ezra understood exactly what it's like to effectively proclaim and teach the Word of God. Because he sought it, he did it, and then, and only then, did he teach it. He studied it. And then he did it. And then he taught it. He didn't go, he didn't study it, and then teach it right away. What credibility would he have as he taught the Word of God? Right? He taught, he studied it, he did it so he can effectively teach it. You're probably thinking, well, Jay, wait. Ezra was a priest. That meant it was his job to teach it. Jay, I'm not a priest. I'm not a teacher. So this does not apply to me. You can say that. We can all say that. But the fact remains that the Great Commission, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize, and teach others to observe everything that Jesus Christ has commanded us, is for all of us. It's not just for Jay, or for Corey, for the elders, for a few people that decided to be teachers. You may not have the title teacher, but in our own ways, we teach our kids, the people around us, our coworkers, our neighbors, our faith. And this is where the rubber meets the road. It's because, inevitably, we would tell them about our faith through our actions. So, uh, if you look at this particular verse, we saw that verse before, the Great Commission. It says, teaching them to observe. Right? But the thing is this. When we communicate the word of God to people, how do we do it? Right? And we, talk, we, we, we would go into a talk of how do we actually communicate generally in life. What does our communication consist of? Right? It's consist of it consists of words. You've probably seen this before. This study by, by, by this researcher called Albert Moravian. He did a research and he came up with this particular uh, number, with these particular statistics. That our communication is composed of words and things that are not words if you if you see it as a pie how many how what percentage of our communication are words and what percentage of our communication are things that are not words you're probably thinking 50-50 you know maybe 20, 30, 20 20 80 i don't know but this is what he found out words are only 7% the stuff that we say is only 7% of our communication how we say it tone is 38% and nonverbal cues is 55% so 93% of what we do we communicate that means that means that in our actions we tell our kids about our faith we tell our kids about god's word we tell our neighbors about the truth of God's Word. Isn't that amazing? So I can say, I can say, for example, it's great. What am I communicating to you when I say that? It's great. It's, it's great. Like, it's positive. But when I say something like, and put tone in it, and I say, it's great. Totally different communication, Right? But then when if I always come, because I believe it's great, then it's more than saying it. Oh, he's always here, so he probably thinks it's great. You know what I'm saying? So you communicate it even stronger when you do it. So in that regard, proclaiming the word of truth today, do it. When we do the word of God, we inevitably teach it to people around us. What we do, what we say, how, how we do it, the manner in which we communicate to, to people, the manner in which we treat others, what we do with our time, what we do with our money. We communicate so many things to people about our faith and about the truth of God's Word. And this is the reason why Jesus says in John 13, 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How are we going to tell people about our Christianity? Yeah, one thing that we can say is we can preach to them. But Jesus himself in John 13, 34, 35 said, we need to show them. We need to demonstrate to them our love. By this, everybody's going to know that we're Christians. Everybody's going to know that we are the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, let's get practical here. What is that to us? How do we do that today? Because I told you, how do we effectively proclaim the Word of God in Carmen today? Well, let's let's look at that. Uh, Go into the vein of what Jesus said about love. Because love is practical. It's doing, right? It's not just an emotional thing. It's not just something that you think. It's something that you do. Let's go by there because that's practical. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's start here. Let's love. The reason is because when we love, it means we are born of God. It means we are a child of God. If we say that we're a child of God and we, we don't love, it means we are not a child of God, right? And if we say we know God and we don't love, it means we don't really know God, okay? So uh, let's get even more practical. How do we do that today? Well, the scriptures tell us exactly how to do that. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, the love chapter, right? It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I understand you've seen that a billion times. But what I want you to do today is I want all of us to make this verse relevant to us today. And here's how we're going to do it. We say that when we do God's word, we proclaim the truth to the people around us. And when we love, that's the ultimate thing. Because it's action. You see, when you see the the word patience, kindness, those are not emotions. In fact, when do you need to be patient? (laughs) When you're angry. When you're really upset. Right? So emotions don't really, you know, it's... In spite of our emotions, we need to love, right? It's an action. It's a decision that we have to do. Love is a decision because patience is a decision. I, am, I, I decide to be patient right now with my kids, right? Now here is where it becomes challenging, right? Here it is. And when you're challenged, when the Word of God is preached, and then it pricks right there because maybe we're short Maybe we're doing something that's opposite. There are a bunch of things that we do to address it. Okay, Um, When the Word of God is preached and it pricks us in the heart, sometimes we become angry. Sometimes we become rebellious, perhaps. Or sometimes we say, we tune it out. (laughs) Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to continue what I'm doing. But today, when that happens to us, as we apply this in our lives, I want us to listen to the knock on on our hearts. Because the reason why you still hear it is because you still have the conscience. You can still hear the knock of God on your hearts. And I want you to open that door and let him in. And if there needs to be some changes, let there be some changes. And here's where it becomes challenging, okay? Do you know a Christian who is not patient? Do you know a child of God who says they love who is not kind? Do you know a Christian who is envious? Who just wants to keep up with the Joneses all the time. Do we know a Christian who is all about himself? Boastful. Or a Christian who is prideful. Or a Christian, a child of God, who disrespects or dishonors others. Who just looks at himself self-seeking, easily provoked, and always brings up the past. You see, that is how we become effective in proclaiming the Word of God. It's not about standing here and teaching you like a verse or two about the Bible. It's how we act. 93% of what we do, we communicate that to people. And let's start with love. Because that is where, I'm going to say it again, the rubber meets the road in our Christianity. So, in our lesson this morning, it's so simple. Seek the law of the Lord, then do it. And then, and only then, do we proclaim it to others. But it's not that. I know I'm I'm way past time. But give me one more minute. Because there's one more thing that Ezra did that I haven't talked to you about. One more thing. Can you guys see it? What he did? It's Actually, it's the first thing that he did. We need to prepare our hearts to do all those things. To study his word, to do it, and to people. You know, we prepare our hearts to do so many things in this life. We prepare our hearts to, to make the money so that we can buy the things that we want to buy. We prepare our hearts to pursue our hobbies, to watch whatever things we need to watch on TV. We prepare our hearts to hang out with certain types of people that we want to hang out with. We prepare our hearts to do so many things in this life. But this morning, what I want us to prepare our our, our hearts to do is to really fulfill our responsibility to proclaim the truth. God's Word. Because we are the pillar in the ground of truth. Let's not just come here to consume. Let's come here to really serve. And as we serve, let us, uh, let us seek the, the, the God's Word with the intent of doing it so that we can show it to other people. Thank you very much for your time.